This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome everybody to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 140. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. To start off this episode, I'm actually really excited to announce our next virtual event the SNN Network Australia virtual event, which will be happening November 9th and 10th this year. Um, now you're probably asking yourself, well, why Australia? Well, uh, Alta Fox Capital Management recently published an analysis of the best performing stocks over the past five years. I invite you to go check out uh, their The Makings of a Multibagger. That's the name of the, the, the report that they put out, Altifax and, and the whole team there. In order from highest to lowest in total shareholder return, 10 of the top 40 stocks that were analyzed in this report were listed on the ASX. As of August 2020, the microcap index returns five-year annualized. The ASX outperformed every other index. ASX was at 13.1%, global 7.6%, and so on. So it's time to look global. Our virtual event will focus on opportunities in Australia and the ASX. So join us for the SNN Network Australia virtual event happening November 9th and 10th, 2020. For more information, please visit australia.snn.network and click register now. Look forward to seeing you all at our event. The SNN Podcast Network has a great week of pods for you. Uh, starting off with avoiding the crowd with Maj Don, we actually took a stroll down memory lane by checking on four stocks that Maj discussed in a presentation at the 2019 Planet Microcap Showcase. Uh, this this uh, keynote was titled, What Do I Own? So check out this episode to see how some of, uh, some of these stocks have performed uh, since, since that presentation. Uh, spoiler alert, three out of the four have actually worked out quite well. So uh, this episode is available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or on Podbean at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com. Speaking of Australia, uh, on the next episode of In the Market Trenches with Gary Reby and Eric Fure, uh, our hosts welcome Chris Somers of unhedged.com. And you can also find him on Twitter at Quisitive Invest. Uh, Chris has a number of stories he, he can draw from the well. And in this episode, he reflects on the lessons learned from an activist campaign he was involved in a few years ago. So you can hear this episode on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. And the Investors Roundtable is back again this week. 
Tune in every Friday morning to watch the latest episode of the Investors Roundtable. Every week, you never know who might be joining our panel or what topic will be discussed. So you just have to tune in to find out every Friday. Subscribe to the SNN Network YouTube channel to be notified. YouTube.com slash SNN Wire. And as I've said, I do promise, I, I swear, we're just you know working on a couple things to, to make it nice and uh, audio only friendly. And so that audio only version is coming soon. So now... For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Liz Hall. She is at LizQuidity on Twitter. I first heard her story on Jim O'Shaughnessy's Infinite Loops podcast, where she discusses in detail her background and introduction into investing, as, as well as a whole host of other topics. And, and I'm really honored that Liz took the time to do an interview with me today, where we actually go a little bit deeper into her professional expertise as a copywriter and really discussing at length the importance of narrative and emotion and intuition in investing. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 140 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my interview with Liz Hall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and joining me today is a very special guest. Uh, it's been months in the making, and we finally made it happen. So uh, I'd like to welcome Liz Hall, full-time private investor. Liz, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Robert. I'm doing great. How are you? You know, just another, you know, uh, a virtually clear day in Los Angeles. Like, oh, I sure. Yeah, right? virtually. Can't, can't complain about that. But uh, how's Austin? I know I, I saw on Twitter you just you just got there what yesterday? Yeah, we got in last night. It was a long road trip. It was a two day trip. On the first day, um, it was we drove twelve hours. We got in through El El Paso. We stayed in a little like trailer from Airbnb, and it was crazy because we went like my friend has like. Like my friends are kind of like artists sort of people, and like I really dig that vibe. And like the car didn't have like an, an AC unit. And so we were driving through the Southwest in hundred degree heat Jeez. for 12 hours with no air conditioning. <laughs> and you just start, you start sweating so bad. And it like, it's like horrible. But then like after a certain point of like torture, like you reach almost like a state of like acceptance and transcendence. And all of a sudden, like your mind goes into a really cool zone. So it was a lot of fun actually. And I, I hope to do that again someday. So, so Liz, let's dig in. You know, this is your first time on the show. Um, I listened to prepare for this. I listened to your incredible interview that you did with Jim O'Shaughnessy. And, and oh Jamie. yeah. Jim's awesome. So is uh, Jamie. Yeah. They're awesome. And so, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to ask you a little bit about your background, you know, and how yeah. you got to where you're at today and your passion for investing. So let's dig right in. You know, what, what led to your passion for investing? Well, I just had to have something to do during the day, you know, because I was taken out of school when I was nine. And so it's like you can play video games and watch Nickelodeon and like Disney and Cartoon Network for a while. But like when you get into your teen years, like they, they start losing their vibe to you, right? Cause, cause I, was like, I was watching Rocket Power well into my, my I think, until at least 14. Like, come on. Well, Rocket yeah, I was I was – 10 when i was watching rocket power it's okay. like 
Was that um, I always liked the the nerdy kid with the glasses who was like the goalkeeper. I don't know. He seemed like the only one of them who was actually a good person. But like, (laughs) (laughs) well, it's true. And it's like, I like that one. um, But I liked a lot. I was big into Lizzie McGuire myself. Like, I always Mm. loved Lizzie McGuire. Um, So, you know, it was good. But like, eventually, like, I had to start doing something else. And so... You know, I got bored of Pokemon Stadium, and then it was like, it was time. And so I got into politics in that election, the 2004 election, because um, I figured, well, I've got to be a grown-up now, so like I'm getting older. And then uh, I followed political strategy for a couple of years, like in blogs and stuff. But the thing is, like, I could never really, like, it was a fun spectator sport, but you could never really, at least back then, participate in it much as a kid it's not like today where the communications networks have evolved so much you can sort of craft your own narratives and change you know q and on and all that sort of stuff um so i couldn't do any of that then so i decided you know what i could do from home is i could do stocks and i knew my grandfather had done he had actually done really well with the stocks and so like maybe i could do the same thing and so i got into that when i was I guess I was 16. I say I was 16. I was almost 17. I was like the last couple years, not a couple years, last couple months I was 16. And then I just sort of, I had a couple thousand dollars, I think it was saved up from over the years. And I put that in there and um, very quickly I lost 10% of it overnight um, because I went all in on Apple when the iPhone was coming out, I was like, that's going to be a hit. And the quarterly earnings came out and it was, they did good. They did a good result on the quarterly earnings, but the stock went down 10% and I freaked out and I sold it. It's a terrible mistake, um, obviously. And it, it really taught me, I guess, the lesson of holding for the long term and understanding that sometimes the day-to-day fluctuations, they don't necessarily matter that much. Though they, they sometimes do. So it was it was a good educational experience, and then I just kept at it, uh, investing for myself casually just for the next couple of years because I didn't have anything else to do. I went to community college very briefly. For, I got like I think I passed two classes, political science classes because like I was into politics. Um, but then I dropped too many classes. And they said I had to go to the guidance counselor to figure out, like, what do I want to do in life? And I was like, well, that seems like quite an ordeal. So I was like, that's enough community college. So I, I think I do actually have six. But as far as my, my highest completed education, it's it's either third or fourth grade. I'm not, I don't quite remember which one, but I dropped, I left school in fourth grade. I mean, you know, you, you detail your story quite quite eloquently on on Jim's show, and you know, I, I mean, it's really incredible all, everything you've been through, and and to persevere, and not only that, learn how to invest all at the same time. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, because the the investing, it it was like I don't know, it was like a Xanax to me, you know, being isolated for a long time. Is in a way, it was my connection to the outside world because, you know, I was at home most days, either like for my teen years and like even into my early 20s till I was 21 I, before I, met, I left home. And so most of the time, I was just the only socialization I had was with my folks and grandma and grandpa and maybe in like some internet chat rooms. 
um, and message boards, but like in terms of a good connection outside, there really wasn't one. And what I found is that investing, like, you know, it's, investing isn't just like investing. It's also like, it's an output of what's going on in the world. And so like what people are into, what they're interested in, like which subcultures are popping up that, that gain some traction and are there any companies associated with that? So you can actually learn a whole lot about what's going on in the world by following the stock market, by following companies in it. And so it gave me a way to, to, to play outside, I guess, a bit when I didn't really have a good outlet for that. Um, yeah. So it was always, you know, I was always in there. I wasn't always actively. Like there was, I think, a six-month period when I was 17 where I just, I hadn't bought a single stock and I was just sitting on my brokerage, just letting them do what they do. But, and I just sort of got back into games or whatever for a bit. And it, and it's still like that, you know, there's times I'm more interested in investing. There's times I'm less interested in investing, but I always come back to it. And I think that's what really makes it the hobby of my life. That's really that I've stuck with is because I am always coming back to it. And there's never really been anything else like that for me. Well, what's, I mean, what's fascinating about your background is, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of investors on here who are, you know, self-taught, you know, didn't go to business school or, you know, they picked up the intelligent investor, or, you know, one up on Wall Street and we're like, yeah. okay, I'll start there, you know, and build out a base. But I mean, you know, since being, you know, out of school, taken out of school in fourth, fifth grade, I mean, you not only were building a whole investing thesis on your own, but on your own, but your, your own worldview, you know, without yeah. it being shaped by any kind of institutionalized educational system. I That's mean, so true. how did how did those two blend together when you were like, okay, I got to figure out my worldview and then now put that into uh, investing. The main reason I asked this question is because, I mean, on Twitter, you're, you're one of the few people that really ask that kind of esoteric question when it comes to investing or taking it to that next level. Uh, I don't have an example pulled up. I really should, but um, but 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 you, you see kind of where I'm going here. Yeah, I guess so. And I think it's like my worldview is like I don't really like I do. Obviously, I have one. I'm sure, but it's not even explicit to me. Like it's something I guess I've internalized over the years, and I think it always changes. And I was like, one of my friends was asking me. Liz, why don't you, why don't you have a tattoo? Why don't you get a tattoo? And I'm like, well, how could I put something permanent on me about my beliefs when my beliefs change every day? And is it so I couldn't actually have a tattoo because I don't actually have that sort of foundational structure because I, I don't even know what truth is. I don't know if anybody does. And so like, or at least that there's much less of it in the world than, you know, I think a lot of people believe. And so it's my job, I guess, to just try to understand as best as I can what goes on in the world. And I just don't really accept a whole lot of things as, as given to be true. Like there's a lot of conventional thinking that people get taught and, you know, it seems to work out okay for a lot of people, but I never really had that experience. And so like for me, I've always had to, just to compete, I've had to change my thinking every day because like getting my first job even as a fourth grade dropout, that was, I couldn't do it conventionally. I had to find a back door in. And so, um, you know, it's always been that way for me. I have to sort of figure out my life as a puzzle and I approach investing the same way. I don't know if that makes sense though. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, 
Say no more. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, were you, I mean, when you when you were taken out of school, were you still doing homeschooling and stuff, or mm. were you, or you just full on on your own? Well, like, whatever interests me right now. They tried to make me do homeschooling for six months or so, but it didn't really work out too well because I was a pretty obstinate child. Um, you can actually get a flavor of that. Like it's on my. Twitter account somewhere because there's all these court records from when I'm a kid uh, that I was involved in and you can get a pretty good flavor of my personality back then. I was pretty obstinate and pretty ornery and I if, if I didn't want to do something I just wouldn't do it and nobody could make me and like my mom was out of state actually going to get her education after the divorce because she had to you know do something in order to we lived in a small town without much opportunity when the lumber mills uh, were shut down because of the spotted owl. And so she had to, you know, get a new job after that. And so she went to school to, to become a nurse. And so she was out of state most of the time. I was raised by my grandma and grandpapa mostly. Um, and by raise, I mean, they let me do what I wanted because grandma was very new age sort of person. She was like, um, she's, she called herself a mystic. She actually, that, that's the title of her book, calls to mystic Alice. She actually wanted it to be calls to witch Alice, but the publisher wouldn't go for it. <laughs> and so um, it's kind of, that's kind of the environment I was raised in. And they were very like passive with me and just kind of let me do whatever I wanted. And what I wanted to do was like play Nintendo all day and they let me do it. And so nobody could really, nobody around was really there to get me under their thumb on my education. So eventually they just gave up. All right. Now I want to dig into to your investing philosophy. I and mean, look, as you say, it can change every day because, you know, beliefs can change on a daily basis. But it's what true. would you say like your baseline um, investing philosophy and strategy is, you know, when you're going out there and considering a potential new investment? Well, I just like to see if it's interesting to me. And if it's interesting to me, I buy it. And if it's not interesting, I don't. And I was, I was the other day, I was on a, um, on another program and I told them, and I'll say the same thing is a lot of it is what the world shows me. It's not me showing the world. It's the world, the world shows me. So I'm like on YouTube a lot. And, um, that's actually a very good source of ideas for me is watching. Oh, I, love, YouTube. I love YouTube. Yeah. Okay. I'm it's on that. Like, like in my, like when I'm doing like just busy work, like, YouTube, just whatever yeah. clips and stuff. It's the best. Can't, it's the best. And you can, yeah. if you use it for an investing, like there's so the cool thing about YouTube is it's a window into so many different subcultures. Like everything mm -hmm. has its own YouTube community. And yep. so like, if you can get into like right now, I'm big into bees. Like I'm big, like the animal, the bees, like making honey and like the beehive community. And there's no investing angle I found from that yet, but I've, I watch, I don't know, seven or 10 hours of people cutting out wild beehives and taking them back to their, to their bee farms and turning them into like captive beehives. And I just find that fascinating because like a very environmental thing, actually, like they used to go and they would just destroy the, the bee colonies in these old, like, if they set up under a trailer or something and we're at the point now with the bees, we can't really do that anymore with the pollen and everything. Right. So there, there's a lot of people actually going out and they'll, they'll take them and uh, back and manage the bees for themselves and collect the honey and all that. And I just, I was always so scared of bees. Like I got, 
I got stung by a bee when I was like, not a bee, a wasp actually, but you know, they're both yellow and black and you know, association, <laughs> psychology, how that works. So I was watching these videos and then I was out at the park with one of my friends and I used to like, I would jolt when I saw a bee, like I would run um, uncontrollably, like I couldn't help it. The bee got like right up next to me. I didn't even care. So it's like, it, it helped me in that. But even in, in investing, like sometimes you'll find these communities where there is an investable idea and like, um, you know, like the, the nerd communities, especially like the video games. Like if you go down those video game rabbit holes, you can learn a whole lot about what the community of video game players is thinking about, you know, different companies in, in that field. And also like tabletop and um, one that I, that I actually own a few shares in is the, the games workshop and they make the Warhammer toys and you can find out all about that on YouTube, how, how obsessed people are with these Warhammer toys and um, seeing like how much money they're willing to spend. And so sometimes like these subcultures pop up and catch your notice when you're going down the YouTube rabbit hole. So if you, if you really go down hours deep down the hole, Every once in a while, like Games Workshop, I don't know how much is up for me now, like almost a double, I think, since April, which I mean, a lot of stuff has been, so it's not like that rat or anything, but pretty good. Come on, brag. Let's go. It's all good. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. And and so, um, you know, it's, it's cool when you find those sort of things. Uh, same yep. as Nintendo, another one I got back when Nintendo Switch was coming out, because everybody was saying... Nintendo Switch is the best. They were they were already singing its praises before it ever hit the shelves, and sure enough, it's just sold like hotcakes ever since. Like that, you you I'm told you can still have a hard time finding them mm-hmm. several years later at, at times. So, and I don't own one personally, but like my brother does. Actually, both of my brothers do. So it's kind of cool when you can find these subcultures and like find what they're into, what they're passionate about and translate somebody else's passion into profits for yourself. Right. So that's kind of like if I would say if I have any investing philosophy, that's what it would be. Yeah, it sounds like that's your hunting ground. It's like, all right, find the subcultures, understand what they're really interested in right now and then find the companies that are producing that product or service yeah. and, then, and then go from there. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I like it. makes makes total sense to me. But then, okay, so then from there, like, what what's some of your criteria? You know, when you're looking at a few of these names or some of these companies that that they're. I don't really have any criteria. It's like none that are explicit, because I'm always trying new investing ideas and concepts, and so, like. I kind of don't want that because I feel like it's limiting. And so if I want to keep evolving and if I want to keep getting better for me, and I'm not saying it's this way for everyone, but for me, I just got to go with how, how it feels. And then I sort of learn from the experience and I internalize it sort of implicitly the learnings. So I guess I don't really have any criteria other than do I find this compelling and do I think that it can be, bigger than it is and if it can be bigger than it is how how much bigger not not even like i don't quantify this it's just sort of a feeling that i have Mm -hmm. and if it can't be that much bigger like how much more can you loot your existing customers for like can you upsell them 
a lot on new products or you know Warhammer toys or whatever the case may be like how dedicated is your fan base how, how much of a cult do you have how's how deep is the strength of that cult um, and I find depth awesome uh, I find depth often to be more important for a cult than like than like the the breadth of it if that makes sense no, it makes makes total sense. I mean, so would you say that right now, an investing concept that's really been forefront for you is looking at gaming, and and kind of yeah. just understanding that right a little bit better. Yeah, I like I like games because like I th I'm big bull on like nerd hobbies. Like I just and I say that affectionately. I really do. Like most of my friends are that way, and I'm kind of nerdy too. So it's like um, I'm just really into it, and I think that there's a lot of opportunities that come up in that world. And it may just be because like, I have like one foot in that world from like people in my family who are really into certain things or like, you know, um, and, and that makes it easier for me to, to transition to understand like, okay, I can cut the allure here because I've seen it personally in my own life. And I guess that might be, sort of a Peter Lynchian thing, but it definitely helps. But sometimes, you know, you find things even outside your, what's immediately knowledgeable to you and you find opportunities there too. So it's yeah. hard to, it's hard to say exactly, you know, when you're going to find one. Yeah. Liz, what, what would you say is the most interesting part about investing to you? Like, like just, Bare bones. Like what, what, what would you say? Like when you're thinking about investing, get you up in the morning, like what, what about investing gets you excited on a daily basis? It helps me think about things in a constructive and profitable way, I guess. Like, and the money itself is more like, like the counting beans. Like you can play poker with, with potato chips if you want. And like, if you love the game, that can be great. And same with investing, like it's kind of fun for me, even when there was like almost no money on the line, I really enjoyed it. It's a good puzzle and it helps me think creatively and it helps me expand my own like, I guess artistic skills, I want to say, because like investing led me into copywriting, which turned me in from like a mediocre writer into like very briefly, I was like very briefly as one of the highest paid writers anywhere. Um, for a couple weeks, but, um, and, and that was cool. And then I figure out how can I translate that writing back to investing and make my investing better, make my content better there. So like, to me, it just like serves as a gateway to other ideas and principles. And also it lets me be creative in a way that I know how. I'm not very good with my hands. I never have been. Like I, I only learned to tie my shoes last year. I was 29. Um, I don't have very good de manual dexterity. So I'm not, you know, I could never really do like very good at painting or anything like that. But I could do, I could do, I could be artistic and in investing by, by writing. And mm -hmm. that for me is a great creative outlet. And it makes me feel fulfilled when people on Twitter will read one of my things and they're like, oh, wow, I really enjoyed this and it helped me. And I like that. It's a sort of affirmation, I guess. So, so I have to ask, I mean, what, what kind of, what kind of creative, is it creative writing that that's your passion or um, no. is, 
or, or is it just investing? Like what, what kind of other writing were you doing that you're passionate about? I was writing ads for a long time. Oh, okay. Like, well, I, sh- I mean, not for a long time, but a long time ago, I was writing ads. Um, All right, here we go. All right, we're going to do something fun then. Here we go. I have an idea. This is not a prepared question. Okay. Here we go. Let's, if you were to create a, an ad for, for how the stock market has been in the last couple months, what, what, what would that ad be to a new investor? What do you mean? Like, if, like let's, say, let's say you have a new investor that has never looked at the stock market before and they're, you know, uh, they're, they're starting to see their friends or opening Robinhood accounts or starting to, you know, play around a little bit because they're sitting at home, they're bored because of the pandemic, they can't leave yeah. the house. Okay, so what, what kind of ad would you write for, let's say, just the Dow Jones or just... I don't know. I'm just, I figured let's, let's play around a little bit. Cause this is for the Dow Jones. Um, like, like what am I trying to sell though? Um, you're trying to sell them on, um, okay. Here, let's use, okay. Trying to sell, let's say, um, awareness of investing. Let's say like, uh, awareness. Oh, I see. Like, oh, you mean yeah. like those old E-Trade ads where it shows yeah. like your friend has a boat and you missed out sort of thing? Yeah. Well, okay. So like most ads for me, like I call them, I call them kind of jokingly like seven deadly sins because that's like, if you focus on those emotions, like you can really drive a lot of behavior. And to me, like when I was writing ads more regularly, like there would always be like, primarily you would focus on two emotions, right? You would focus on either greed or you would focus on fear and the fear and or often both, you know? And so like the greed you know, would happen to like, okay, you can make a lot of money and change your life. And which is true in the stock market. And the fear is like, oh, you know, if you think like a perma bear sort of thing, like the market's going to crash and like, here's how you can protect yourself. So I guess like if I was, this is why it's difficult without knowing exactly what I'm trying to sell because like, it's like, what is the product I'm trying to sell? Because there's like, I was always more of a, um, a direct response person rather than a brand advertiser. And, And what that means is like in direct response, the point is to get an immediate sale of whatever product you're doing. You're not trying necessarily to shift awareness but right. like you're trying to get money out of your customer today uh, for your client. And so I guess if I was trying to sell like Dow Jones index funds or something, I would play to the greed. Like, you know, what are, what are you missing out on and why? And I know like it's actually a lot different for regulated, so I probably couldn't do that. But, um you know, because with, with the newsletter world where I worked, we had a publisher's, what's called a sort of a publisher's exemption, mm-hmm. which is like, this is getting like way in the weeds, but it basically, it let us be more creative with like, how did we want to write our ads? And you would have to, right. then you would be able to, if you were selling a regulated product, but I would find some sort of narrative angle, like how it would usually work. I would try to find some sort of narrative angle about like, why could the market or a particular stock, if that's what the client wanted, um, could go up? And like, if you subscribe today, we'll tell you 
what our what our hidden stock is and it would probably be something similar if I was trying to sell for the Dow Jones. I would just have to think like what angle is big in the news right now and write something around that that is capturing the emotions of a person. But it's not really something that you can do on the fly. Like when you're writing these things, it's fascinating. Like when I'm usually writing, I can write like, 3,000 words in an hour or two, it's very casual, right? When I'm writing an ad, it could be that I write three sentences in an hour or two. And the reason why is because the sentences are structured so deliberately to sort of tap into a specific emotion in order to pull the reader further into the narrative. It's like a different form of writing than a lot of people understand. And it's not really driven by writing, it's driven by human psychology. And that can be quite a challenging thing to do. And that's why when you do it well, you can be paid just obscene amounts of money in the copywriting field, right. uh, because it's actually very difficult. But, you know, you could end up, it could take, I don't know, like, I don't know, I, I wrote an article once about this, and like, it took me two weeks to write, I don't know what it was, like the whole ad was I think 10,000 words or so, and I only wrote a third of it. So like, it took two weeks to write 3,000 words, which is like, wow. yeah, it's it takes a while, right? And so, and it's very deliberate and a lot of uh, sort of deliberation amongst the team, like, okay, what what angle, what hook fits where and why? So it's just kind of a different world. And if anybody's interested in it, I, w I do have a book recommendation. It's called uh, Tested Advertising Methods. And you can sort of understand, like, how does this writing differ from what you usually do? Well, you know what's interesting is the reason I, I wanted to kind of play around with this exercise is what I was trying to pull out is how, you know, that passion of yours probably had an effect on how you then develop your thesis for any kind of investment that mm -hmm. you might be considering to put your money into is that, that deliberateness is getting to the point. Do I like this? Do I not? Why? You know, right. like I, think, I think there's something there. Well, that's how it works, right? You have to have a big headline, like in, in ads. And I think the same is true with stocks a lot of times with like narratively, like what's the headline of this company? Even if it's not like an explicit headline that exists in reality, there's a certain narrative about a company that exists, right? In the market and other people's minds. And sometimes that narrative itself can drive value and sometimes the shift to that narrative can drive value. So like there's a meta game, I think in anticipating, like there's a meta game in understanding narratives and also understanding how the narrative could change directionally that also can like, they have this concept, you, you know, of investing of intrinsic value, which I don't really believe is a thing but I will use the term because it's like what everybody understands. Like a shift in narrative, like a change in the narrative of a company directionally can alter that intrinsic value by altering the stock price. That's like reflexivity. And sometimes the company can control this to an extent. So it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, who are the best managers from that perspective? And obviously probably the greatest of all time was Henry Singleton. Um, if you, you know, big LA guy, so you might know him um, from, from Teledyne. 
you know, first in the conglomerate boom and then in the repurchase of a ton of shares after it bust, it, it discounted prices. And there's some stuff that he did to alter the narrative about his company, especially if you go back and you look at the Argonaut insurance medical malpractice um, losses, which may not have been quite so bad as people were led to believe. But, you know, there's a question of ethics in there too. But as an outside investor, where you're not actually influencing that, like, okay, like the world is what it is sometimes. And like, if you can understand how a company's like financials may not necessarily represent the true story, and then that you can watch that narrative shift and the value change accordingly. I think like you're doing a disservice to yourself if you don't try to do that, you know? I mean, it, what, what it comes down to at the end of the day, whether you're considering a company for investment or not, I mean, there's so many investors that have come on here that have said like, look, if I can't figure out what this company does in one sentence, it's all, it's all automatically, you know, it's going in, it's going in this pile, you know, sure. but, but what we're talking about is, is kind of that step further is not just like understanding what a company does in one sentence. It's also being able to kind of, all right, well, if I had to tell you what their narrative is in one sentence, exactly, you know, what's either driving the value here or here, you know, yeah. that's, that's more or less what we're really talking about. And cause then from there, you can kind of start to do the digging. It's like, okay, if that's the narrative, well, why, you know, yeah. and our, and our people's, is there something I'm missing? Yeah. And, and, and will the narrative shift and why, right. you know, right. cause that can be, that can be great. Like if I buy a consumer packaged goods company and we think it's going to grow forever at a 40, you know, Coke and like 2000 or whatever. And then it, it doesn't, the multiple compresses, like it, my return's not going to be that great, even though it may be a, a great business and the current narrative might be good. So it's not just what is the narrative. It's also like trying to understand narrative inflection points, at least to me. Um, and I actually find that more important than the narrative itself, because like the money you can make is all, always relative to where it's at today. You know, it's not where it is yesterday. It's almost like thinking about it in terms of consumer journeys. You know, and, and yeah. as an investor, you know, you have, you know, you have your different touch points and it's just trying to, okay, well, if I'm going to be in this for more than, you know, this amount of time, it's really being able to construct, okay, well, what is each touch point that I should be looking out for that me as an investor, I'm going to have an active interest in understanding better, you know? Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that it's something that requires more of a qualitative approach sometimes than a quantitative approach. Like if you get too obsessed with like multiples and price to book, I mean, that stuff's important. I'm not saying it's not, but like it, you have to understand like, why is it important and how can that change? And why might it be more important or less important in the future? So I, I, I think it's a very intuitive process. Like I don't think it's something I could even explain explicitly. Like what are all the factors that go into like this sort of narrative process or understanding narrative shifts. But I think it's something you pick up more over time as you get more experience, you know, yeah. in the market. And so like the greatest way to pick it up is probably just to get more at bats, you know, get more stocks under your belt, you know, over the long term. And you sort of get an idea for the meta game just from that.
Yeah. You know, it's, it's, that's probably the, one of the most challenging things about, about this show sometimes is, you know, I ask about style and investing thesis and all that, but at the end of the day, sometimes as, as the songwriter, it's difficult to understand the meaning behind your own damn song. You yeah. Know, like that's what it means to you. Okay. That's yeah. Fine. I mean, that's how it goes. And so <laughs> it's like, you just gotta, if you're, if you like investing and you want to, learn more about it. You just keep at it for a long time and eventually you learn things or at least hopefully you do. Almost, I mean, yeah. Hours and hours as they always yeah. say. Right. I guess like, I don't even know, like that's, um, what's his name? Um, is that Gladwell said, wrote a book about that? Was it Gladwell? Um, I think, I think so. I yeah, think people I, think I'm more prolific reader than I actually am. So I, I'm going to go on record and say I'm not saying who said it. I just know the phrase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Like people often like to get a vibe like that I'm a literary person and like some literary, like, dude, what are you even like? I dropped out of fourth grade and I never read Shakespeare. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like you need to dumb it down for me. I try to read this like old English stuff and like I may as well, I may as well be reading Arabic, you know? I mean, I, I went. Um, I went through grad school. You still uh, Shakespeare. That, that probably wasn't a good example. Yeah. There's a lot. Of, there's a there's a lot of people that don't know how to, how to understand Shakespeare at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, so, Liz, we're getting we're we're at my favorite question. That I'd love to ask every uh, okay on here. What what investing experience would you say in, impacted you the most in your career? Oh yeah, for sure, it's Amazon. I uh, I used to be a value head. I was a big, like, that's where I started was like, I didn't used to have this narrative concept. I didn't used to be a growth investor. I was like, you know, what's the price to book? What is the net current asset value? All that sort of stuff that a lot of investors go through, I think, that phase. A coworker of mine um, from back then, not anymore, uh, I worked with him, and he, his name Joe, is Joe Mayer. He's like at MAG. Why are he's like, hey, ladies, like you should look at this Amazon. Like, cause I was like, what is this? This doesn't seem like a good investment to me. Like, where's the profits? Um, and so, like, I took a flyer on it, um, not very much, but he cracked my head open on that. And it's been like, I don't know, it's up a thousand percent or something. And I own shares of Amazon um, still, but not very many, uh, not as many as I wish I did. So uh, that that's probably the most important one in terms of like getting me to understand a new um, concept in investing that I ended up being able to use for things like Wayfair, which I also own shares of um, in the future for, for great profits. And then I guess the other would be um, working in copywriting with a, another old boss of mine who is more of a casual investor but he still taught me a lot um, inadvertently through about investing through the use of narrative in, in copywriting. So figuring out how to apply that to the market has been very useful to me. So I would say those are probably the, the two, the two big ones. Very cool. So I, I also have to ask you, you know, uh, for, for new investors that are listening to this yeah. or, or not, you know, just, just let's, let's pretend they're listening to this. Hopefully they okay. are at some point, you know, what, what advice would you have for them that, for the, that are considering investing in the stock market for the, either the first time or just, or even struggling, 
right now and trying to figure out how they should think about the market? Well, that's hard, right? Like it's, it's just stick with it and don't lose anything you can't afford to, right? Like make sure you can stay in the game when, because that's how you will learn. Like over time, if you stick with it, you will learn. So just like try and, I would just say, try and stay in the game. Don't, don't go. I did some very foolish investments when I was young and, um, I would go all in on things and sometimes like, Oh, I'd have a 300% year, but then I'd have a year where I was down like 70%. So it's like, just be, just be careful out there and take your time. Like this is not something you have to really rush at. It's a game of decades rather than years, I feel like. So it's okay actually to take it slow and it's okay to understand that you don't have to be like excellent day one. And you know, just, have that self-acceptance and just chill, you know? That's the vibe I get from you is like, look, investing, it can be hard or you can make it really chill, get the fundamentals and just have fun with it. You know, just accept you're going to suck for a bit and you're going to lose. But you might win too. Yeah. You got to take some L's. Yeah. You got to take some L's. It's all good. Yeah. Look at baseball. Like no one's winning 162 games. You know, right. so take a couple losses, it's fine. I mean, yeah. just don't, just, you know, try, try not to lose everything. So, 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 Liz, so Liz, with that, where can my audience go and find more information about you, follow you on social media, and uh, I, I'm, do, do you still have a blog going? I have a, like I do, I have a Substack, um, which I, I don't even remember the link to it, but I can tell you where it is. It's at, I'm on Twitter, at LizQuidity. That's at L-I-Z-Q-U-I-D-I-T-Y. Um, and it's, it's in my bio there. I have one blog post up. I haven't really been blogging as much lately because I, um, I have been working, actually, which is quite a change for me. Uh, I've worked three and a half months this year, which is, wow. I mean, I didn't know if I'd ever do that again. And it, it ended up being a lot of fun. So that's probably the best place to to find me is on Twitter is that liquidity. Like if you send me, I would give you my email, but the thing is like people will email me things and they're like, Hey Liz, why didn't you get back to my email? I was like, Oh, I didn't know you sent an email. And they're like, Oh, but I sent it two weeks ago. Okay. Well, I haven't, I haven't checked my email in two weeks. So, you know, probably, but I'm on Twitter every day. I'm on there probably every Every day is actually an under. I'm on there like every 30 minutes. So it's I mean, at Liz Quiddity. So that's where you Twitter's can find the me. best. By the okay. way, I feel like I'm guilty of one of those emailers. So <laughs> I apologize for, <laughs> for the constant following up. But uh, I, I uh, hey, for everyone else out there. Oh, it's, her, it's fine. I don't, I don't mind people. It's just the best place is is always Twitter because like yeah. I'm have an addiction to it, which is probably one of the healthier addictions you can have. Uh, you know, I, I'm a full disclosure. I'm a huge Big Brother fan, and like my Twitter addiction has gotten worse because of it. Because all I do, like I don't want to watch the feed, so I just get the updates all day. And I, yeah. It's, it's a problem. Like my, like, you know, my wife and I watch it together and she's just a casual fan that just watches the show and not the feeds. And I'm like, I already know everything that's happening. And she's just like, Oh my gosh. It's so annoying. And I'm like, I can't help myself. Like I just, I have to know what's going on and, and the strategy and everything. I, 
I actually just recently and reached you go out spoiling to it for your wife. Uh, I mean, she, she knows I'm watching it. So I'm just like, look, I'm, yeah. I'll, I won't say anything if you don't want me to, but if you want me to, I will tell you the entire situation right now, but Hey, we all have our little things. Get us oh, absolutely. Time. You gotta <laughs> find your subculture, right? Yeah. That's for sure. I actually did just reach out to a former contestant cause now he's like a big trader. Um, and I was just, I just want to do a full episode on like the parallels between big brother strategy and like being wow. a successful trader. And then it'd be freaking fascinating. No, that'd be rad. You're so tight. I, yeah. Better happen. But anyways, let's put, we're putting it out into the universe right now. Okay. Respond, respond to my shit. All right. Anyways, <laughs> with that, Liz, it's been a pleasure. I had so much yeah. fun. So, uh, Thanks Robert. Yeah. Thank you for joining me and uh, I look forward to our next chat. Okay. Chat to you soon. And Liz, real quick, um, are you currently a shareholder in, I, I think it was just, you mentioned all of them except Nintendo. Are you still Yeah, I, I own shares in Nintendo. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.